Welcome to the Hidden History Happy Hour podcast with Alex Dean and Brian Cunningham. Here we have a drink, have a laugh, and you just might learn something about our favorite stories from history. Please visit our website at hiddenhistoryhappyhour.com and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you like the show, please rate us five stars and leave a review. Cheers. Welcome back, Hidden History Happy Hour fans, and welcome to our special Thursday edition of the Happy Hour, in which we introduce an occasional new figure we like to call the It Could Have Happened That Way episode, Alex. Yep, good plan and good thinking. Um, some speculation necessarily involved in this one. I tried to come up with a good way to mark this new feature. I convened the same focus groups and branding experts that you use to develop the title of your new book, More Lessons from History, available for pre-order. And I think, Alex, if I'm not mistaken, a number of the stories in More Lessons of History, our fans might have first heard right here at the Hidden History Happy Hour. Correct. So to celebrate the occasion, I came up with an orange shirt. That was honestly the best I could do. <laughs> okay. But we'll see how Thursday goes, fans. We'll look to hear from you how you enjoyed it. Now, Alex, you know, here on the Hidden History Happy Hour, we love our Blue Run bourbon. Yep. I've been inspired, though, by your going local there at home with your uh, providers. And so today I'm going to enjoy a bespoke whiskey made just for my little family here on the Puget Sound. This is Heritage Distillery. And you can show up and pay a little money and they give you your own cask, wooden cask, and you uh, mix and match and flavor it the way you want. So this one is how how much did you vary your preferences from the kind of uh, generic? A little bit. So they, what they did is they blind taste test you on like their three or four different whiskeys that right. they make. Then you mix those together and then they say, would you like to add a little vanilla? Would you like to put a clove in here? Would you like to put cocoa in, which I resisted, but then uh, you let it distill as long as you like, you tell them what proof you want. And next thing you know, you have a own, bespoke whiskey. whiskey. Ours is named after our two dogs. It's called whip it good. I like it. I like <laughs> and our it. next I, cask is going to be called You Must Whip It. Well, less interestingly, I'm drinking a beer. Cheers, so, friend. You win. Cheers. Cheers. All right. Cheers. So as people know, as an intelligence officer, I always approach history, Alex, a little skeptically. Right. I always like to say, here's what the stated facts are, but do they maybe not quite add up in this point, on this point or that point? And um I want to take a closer look at these and understand why. And I must say the first story we have today is actually, Alex, the first story I ever read when I purchased Lessons from History, also still available. Because it looked to me like one of those stories. Well, you're you crazy maverick. You read chapter two first. You just you make your own rules. Uh, okay. Well, so this, Tell us about this, Lord Haha. I will. And this is a story when it starts, people, everyone thinks I know this. And when you get to the mm-hmm. end, people always everyone thinks I didn't know that. Exactly. So Lord Haha, real name William Joyce, was the voice of the Nazis on air during World War II, broadcast into my country, into Great Britain. And he was, of course, the last person in my country executed for treason as a result. And that's so far so well known. Less well known, there's a little town called Flensburg, which did not, nothing to deserve this being inflicted on it. It was the last capital of the Third Reich as oh. the Germans retreated and after Berlin was conquered, it's where Dönitz and Co. Uh, were. It's right up by uh, the German border with Denmark, which in itself, by the way, has moved a few times over the years. Yes. Anyway, um, there was a British intelligence unit kind of mopping up the last Nazis around that patch. And an officer in that unit 
accosted this guy he saw in the distance gathering wood or foraging or something and, and, and talked to him. And this British officer recognized Haw Haw's voice from his uh. accent, right? So that the voice that he had used to kind of undermine Britain and insinuate the yeah. worst things oh, into our no. country was what gave him away. Now, specifically, that officer was called Jeffrey Perry. That's what we called him. But he was born Horst Pinschauer. Mm. And uh, he was a Jewish German who had fled the Nazis and signed up with Great Britain to fight against Nazi Germany, which is, I think, perfect, but it gets better. Yes. Perry Pinschauer claimed that he thought Haw Haw was going for his gun, which, which by the way, he didn't have. He thought Haw Haw was going for his gun. So he shot him. And specifically, he shot him in the arse, or rather he shot him through the arse, oh. four wounds, entry into one buttock, exit out of that buttock, entry into the second bucket, buttock, exit out of the second buttock, one bullet. Now, I suggest <laughs> that that is, uh, takes a high level of, of accuracy. It's yes. not life-threatening. He got his prisoner, but it is deeply humiliating and painful. You might <laughs> even say Alex Cheeky. It's very uh, doubly cheeky. Uh, right. So that's that's part one. Part two is where your it might have happened this way comes in, because the I owe this part to a British author called Nigel Farndale, who researched this. And it, it really does stand up in a non-conspiracy theory way. Joyce, properly evidenced, not fantasist, had these pre-war connections, not during the war. No suggestion we were running him as an agent. Joyce is Lord Ha Ha. Just... Lord, Lord yeah. Ha Ha, before the war had genuinely bottomed out connections to the British intelligence service, uh, MI5. And mm. at his trial at the Old Bailey, at which that might have been extremely useful for him to bring forth, he did not mention this. He didn't give evidence at all. He didn't have his barrister put it to anybody, despite the fact that we had nothing else going for him, basically. Yeah. That might have been what saved him from the gallows. And it's difficult to think of an explanation for that, especially given the inevitable consequences of his silence was death. Other than the possibility that he had made a deal with the prosecutors and with the British state not to raise it and therefore to avoid the considerable embarrassment that would be visited upon post-war Britain if he did. And I think he did that. And this is speculation. But, uh, yep. but And Farndale speculation, first of all, not mine. But the speculation is, which, which I believe, is that he did it in return for them not prosecuting his wife, ah. who was herself a rabid pro-Nazi, as guilty as he was, as guilty of collaboration as he was, as guilty of, of, of supporting the enemy and assisting the enemy as, as he was. And she went scot-free, or at least um, free enough to live until 1972, drinking herself to death. Hmm. And my point is that, and there's nothing, not much to admire about Haw Haw, uh, William Joyce, but I think that even knowing what it was going to mean for his future, if he were to keep silent about his past, Joyce, I think, struck a deal, his life for hers. Hmm. Is, it, is there any sense that women were treated differently by the British authorities at that moment? So that might have explained it? <clears throat> Maybe a little bit. And clearly he was more high profile, right? Yeah. Um, but you know, they were right across the... Um, the allied world there were plenty of women who were being prosecuted for being collaborators and even if not killed even if not executed they were they were getting sentences and we we remember of course the humiliations visited especially on french women who'd been um too close to the germans during occupation but there were plenty of of, of collaborating brits who were locked up during the course of the war who, yeah. who women uh, plenty were prosecuted so now it, it can't be that 
there was something else to it. And given how high profile Hall Hall yeah. was, you would think doing his wife, who'd gone over to Germany with him, you know, gone yeah. to the Germans, so cool, you'd think that that would help them. I mean, there was all manner of things offered by his defense at trial about whether he was actually a subject of the crown because he had applied for a British passport. Was it, did he get it? Was it valid at that time? So, well, you might've thought we, he was a spy for us. was the kind of <laughs> thing that, that, that got mentioned. In fact, you might've mentioned it by the, if you were the prosecution and saying, well, you know, if, if it came out, you know, then you, if you, if you were spying for us, it demonstrates you were British and that's where you owed your loyalties. In fact, there, but instead there was a conspiracy of silence around yeah. that, that salient fact. And I, it just leads me to believe he did a deal. Yeah, well, I guess there's a possibility. The prosecutors didn't know that either. But I think your explanation is the most plausible. Also, I can tell you from personal experience, an echo, I guess it's not an echo from history. It's like retrofitting corroboration for your theory. And, and it goes like this. Up until probably Edward Snowden, uh, a guy called Aldrich Ames was the most infamous American yeah. spy. He was a he CIA was a officer. He, he, yeah, he betrayed a large number of American agents in Russia and the Soviet Union who were then killed. No question yeah. about it. Nixon was right. Uh, I was actually on the prosecution and damage assessment team in Ames's case back in the 90s. And you could imagine that the Central Intelligence Agency might have lobbied the government pretty hard to get the death penalty for him. Right. Uh, just to send a message that we take this stuff seriously and you got eight of our agents killed and you got to pay the price. Well, I can't officially speculate on what happened, but he made a deal for life imprisonment and his wife, who was deeply involved in the financing and the movement of money and the hiding of money was not prosecuted at all. So that's, first of all, I'm going to, because I interposed wrongly and said Nixon was right. I was thinking of Alger Hiss. And you, you talk about Ulrich Ames, because Hiss was a spy and Nixon supported the mm. Whitaker Chambers. Um, oh, Alder James, totally different case much yeah, later. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. I just, that's why I had to pause when you said you were on the case. I'm like, you were way too, you were <laughs> way old, too young. <laughs> you are way too young. And then I realized I had the wrong guy. So yeah, I was thinking of Alger Hiss. Um, Aldrich Ames is interesting um, to me. Was, was he the guy who shocked Gordievsky? Is he is Ames? I, I, I don't think believe Ames, so. Okay, all right. Then I, I, I although I, we should look that up. But let's say he was for the sake of argument. What what would that tell you? The point would have been that we've done a story about Oleg Gordievsky in yeah. my book, and we're going to tell it in the podcast one day. One of the bravest and most valuable high yes. level sources we the British ever had, and he was given up by an American uh, spy for the Russians. The the the, um, the Russians. Uh, ha had uh, worked out that um, somebody was again them. And uh, somebody in your intelligence services shopped Gordievsky to the Russians, uh, who was then caught himself as a spy. And I thought it was Ames, but uh, I mean, well, actually, my memory did mislead me. This is one of the few times on our podcast I'm going to have to do something highly obnoxious and say I can't talk about that. Um, but I, but I will say uh, whether it was Gordievsky or not, um, he knew he was sending multiple agents to their deaths, and uh, he did it for money. And right. Plain and simple. But it was a little bit more complicated, like these things always are. There was a little bit of his ego. You know, they, they were able to convince him that if you'd only been in the KGB, you would have been much higher up and the Americans yeah. are ignoring your value and all this. But it was mostly money. The, the more you talk about it, and you maybe you can't say, but I'm increasingly sure he was the guy who shot Gordievsky, who was one of the bravest men ever to live. Voluntarily yeah, we'll definitely do Gordievsky. Great soon. story. Inspiration. Right, so, yeah. So that's uh, that's Lord Hawhorn. Yeah. And uh, is, is he 
remembered by modern day. Well, let me let me back up for a second. So yeah. he must have been one of the most hated Nazis in your country. Right? Oh, very, because very much so because, you know, even the, the worst of the leading German Nazis were at least their Nazis. This was one of ours. This was a this was a this was a, a British guy who decided to go over. That was absolutely resented. I mean, the Germans had I think it was called the St. George Battalion which was Brits fighting for them. Ugh, there were like 10 gross. of us, right? There was, it was, it was, and they were, they were like sub, sub 60 IQ type total yeah. idiots who were just kind of, but Hall Hall was different. Hall Hall was a, was yeah. a charlatan and quite a bright guy and just threw his lot in with them. But um, as my story implies, he was obviously, was up to something else before that as well. And, and I'll just ask for our viewers and listeners, the obvious question I asked when I first read the story, which is, the historian that inspired this story, there's no theory that he actually was undercover the whole time operating under absolutely British control. Absolutely not. I know, absolutely not. It's just that he, you know, he had done some work for MI5 before, um, uh, before the war. And indeed, if you were, you know, if he were really going all out to try and save himself from the noose, I suppose he could have tried to run for the this is the point you make that he'd actually gone i mean talk about deep cover uh <laughs> yeah. he'd gone truly deep cover uh in order to um to get secrets from the germans but no there was absolutely no suggestion of that in reality yeah well so just as evil as we always thought but possibly absolutely. did one semi-honorable thing at the one end I guess it's not, it's not semi it's honorable if, the, if he did that yeah I, I i agree with that and actually um if you can see someone in history with a black heart who had one moment of something it's still worth noting well, that's that's Lord Haha. That's one of my yep. favorite stories from the book. And, and Thank you. I like this. I like the alternate history. I, I think we should keep that up and let's just keep that up. So also right. from lessons from history, I believe chapter 17 is the story of now I'm going to use the pronunciation I found on the interweb. So we'll probably get in trouble. But the way I was told by the world to pronounce his name is Jan Masaryk, which sounds like the last way you should pronounce it. In any event, he's another historical figure whose death may not have been exactly as it seemed. Right, and I'm, we're going to cover all bases by me using a different pronunciation. Uh, I'm going to say Jan Masaryk. Uh, I think it's, to me it must be Jan, is Czech. But, Seems like it right. should be. Right. So Jan Masaryk, if that's his name, was the son of the founding president of Czechoslovakia. And, and totally coincidentally, his civil service career really took off after his dad took office. <laughs> uh, and he was posted to the Czechoslovakian embassy in the United States after the First World War. He became long-serving aide to the foreign secretary, uh, Edward Benes, uh, who succeeded his father as president. And uh, then he became the long-standing Czech ambassador to the UK, which is part of, if he's remembered for things here, it's because he was a, he was a yeah. well-regarded ambassador here. Whilst he was in the United Kingdom, the war commenced, the Second World War, and he became foreign minister in the Czechoslovakian government in exile, which was in London during the Second World War. And when the conflict finished, he returned to his country, which was, of course, under Soviet occupation post-1945. And he stayed in that foreign uh, minister role until after the Com Czech communist government was formed in 1946. And in 48, some of the non-communists in government tried to force new elections. Excuse me, when I, I say he remained in it until after, I mean... The communist government was formed in it in 46. He continued to be foreign right. minister. A bunch of the non-communists in government tried to force new elections by resigning and they failed. And he was basically the only non-communist or you know, non-fellow traveler in a prominent public role. And, you know, on the one hand, his, his friends would have accused him of being useful idiots. Soviets might have, yeah, it was useful to the Soviets and the puppets. 
And um, then when he endorsed the idea of Czechoslovakia taking money from the West under the Marshall Plan, which implied that, you know, you, the, the beneficence of the Soviet Union wasn't enough, that protection from Mother Russia wasn't enough. And they then might he be was, tilting. Right. Then it, then it was suddenly very bad from yeah. their perspective. And this guy who they'd, they'd allowed to stick around was regarded less, far less positively. So conveniently uh, for those people, supposedly promptly committed suicide jumping from a window in his official apartment in the rather Baroque um, Cernin Palace in Prague, to which he'd been confined with a whole new set of staff deprived his normal retainers since he'd had his outburst about the Marshall Plan. I and feel the, an accept coming. Yeah, well, if you detect skepticism in my voice, you're right, because there are, let's say, reasons for skepticism about this suicide explanation. And I count the following points in that, Brian. One, there were deep scratch marks all around the window frame, consistent with someone, for example, uh, desperately clinging to life against somebody trying to chuck them out the window. Uh, witnesses, secondly, had passed through the courtyard uh, a quarter of an hour before his body uh, was found uh, in it. And you might think they'd have noticed a uh, body splayed out on the cobbles. Much less flying out the window. Much Plenty. less flying, yeah. uh, if that's... Um, had what happened but the reason i mention that is that the police doctor who carried out the preliminary examination said that he died at least two hours before uh, he was found so you know quarter of an hour before that witnesses go through body wasn't there police doctors say uh, two hours before uh, this person was dead thirdly his own doctor was not allowed to attend the post-mortem if you're if you've got a case as high profile as this you want to say we've got nothing to hide come along you know, you can witness the, the uh, post-mortem, but that's not what they said. And the doctor who actually undertook it had demonstrated his willingness to, let's say, work flexibly with unpleasant regimes by being a long-standing Czechoslovakian servant of the Nazis. Right? So next, he supposedly jumped from a small, narrow window set high up in the wall, which is hard to get to and hard to get through. His own bedroom window in the palace was large and much easier to get through and he apparently chose that rather unpleasant uh, way to die and rather difficult to do despite the gun and the drugs that he had in his chambers so i mean it's a pretty bizarre set of um explanations now some of his family said that you know he um he just never would have killed himself. His great hero in his life was his father, the first president of his country. His father had famously taken a public position that suicide was a coward's way of escape. That you must yeah. never take uh, your own life. And uh, last of all, if it was actually uh, suicide, then it would be the second, definitely not by defenestration, uh, death for, by jumping from a window by an awkward government minister, as the former minister of justice had just done so or not, uh, before Masaryk uh, supposedly did. So, uh, my, it was my probably friend, a copycat. Yeah, well, quite. So my, my dear friend Columbo, I think, would be one more thinging all over this case. So uh, little wonder that um, with the dark humour that was so prevalent amongst those who lived under the Soviet uh, jackboot and the enduring communist regimes, the joke in Czechoslovakia was that Masaryk was a man so tidy, he closed the window behind himself after he jumped. <laughs> Now, after the Prague Spring in 68, when the authorities were trying to reassure people about things, uh, they concluded that the incident was an accident. So well, now it wasn't suicide anymore, mm. but it was an accident and yeah. it definitely wasn't murder. So first explanation, suicide, second explanation, accident. Communism falls in the East, 1990s, third investigation, he was murdered. So it went from being a suicide to being an accident to being a murder. 
and a fourth inquiry held by the police in the 2000s also said murder, but neither of those inquiries said by whom. So much has been revealed and unexplained incidents finally understood by personal testimony and archive material have become available after the fall of communism in other examples. Yeah. But despite this case being so high profile in his country, Masaryk's death is not amongst them. His murder wow. remains unsolved to this day. The police re, 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 reopened uh, the investigation in 2019, which is, you know, before my book came out. And... Um, so when and when the book came out, I said no findings yet. So it was the first yeah. time in my book about history I said, watch this space. I can tell listeners that that investigation concluded during coronavirus mm. with uh, in, 19, in 2021 with the conclusion, all of the options are possible. Could, <laughs> could have been a suicide, could have been an accident, could have been murder, not going to say who. So actually the jury is absolutely still out. There, and there's no way to refute the finding that it could have been any of those options. What do you do, right? So I think, first of all, this needs an afterword in more lessons from history. But also, doesn't it circle us back to a discussion we've had with Mike Cole and with Professor Buzzkill and with, uh, with a lot of our guests that what we think of as history is pretty questionable until we get the time machine, right? Right. Right. And if you, when you do get the time machine, a lot of physicists um, who's one of their favorite games is speculating about this stuff it is that you could only take your time machine back to the time that time machines were invented. So uh, it mm. would be very useful to use time machines up to, I don't know, up back to 2100 when time machines were invented, but you couldn't take it back before that. So the, the mists of time will remain concealed, even from our successors who've, invested, who've worked out how to breach time. But I would say this is a feature, not a bug not for a bug. the Hidden History Happy Hour, because more It Could Have Happened That Way episodes are now destined to be dropped on Thursdays, I believe. Oh, yes. So much to unpack there. Well, you know, Alex, I'm more of a Jim Rockford, Thomas Magnum kind of guy, but I respect your views on Columbo. But even, I think, not to disparage the bona fides education-wise of, uh, of Thomas Magnum. I think even Magnum would have to have asked the question, right. what, and this is what I ask as a counterintelligence officer, what would be, the, I mean, the earlier stuff is interesting and it's, and it's titillating history, right? But the most fascinating thing to me is the story is why after the wall has fallen, after the Czech Republic is independent, do we still not have the whole story? Well, of course, some people will have gone to their graves with the facts, and some people, if there are facts to be found, right? Look, uh, perhaps one of the explanations offered along the way was correct. Maybe he did kill himself. Maybe it was an accident. Maybe it was murdered by someone who's now dead and they can't work it out, and it wasn't, you know, the state doing it. Uh, I don't. I doubt all of those explanations. Yeah. By but, the way, um, the least plausible one, based on the way you tell the story, is the accident. Like yeah, I know. Accidentally called climbed out of that narrow little tiny window the first supposedly um yeah maybe who's i don't know bird watching uh the um the, the the first supposedly independent uh investigation had the worst explanation of all um yeah let, let, let's let's pan out it may be that some people had the facts and knew that they would their name would be blackened and therefore chose not to share them perhaps some people were afraid of the ramifications for others after all people have long memories and people bring revenge sometimes 
may seem may seem uh, absurd to speculate about that this long after such an incident but you know people hunted down those responsible for yeah. the, the deaths of, of relatives long after the events in the 20th century and into the 21st so it's not completely uh, unfeasible uh, and then of course the, the facts may simply no longer be uh, available you know if you had a few records about this at the highest level and you destroyed them all of the people who were in charge of Czechoslovakia at the time are dead um the people who, who carried it out are likely dead uh, yeah. the um if it was carried out in the way that i'm implying and um there's no one left around to provide further corroborative evidence. These guys, you and I have talked in past shows about how the Nazis were such diligent record keepers, even though it was about the most disgusting things. It was actually yeah. quite an illogical thing to do. And you're only because you're completely uh, and psychopathically certain of your own immunity from punishment because you don't think what you're doing is wrong. Do you write down the doing of such ghastly things? And most right. regimes, if they're bumping somebody off, try to keep it quiet. So, you know, there have been very limited written records. There's a time before, you know, media communications in the way that we might uh, think about it today and no, say no emails or anything. Uh, people were unlikely to write down in their diaries that they'd killed the foreign, former foreign, the foreign minister that day. You know, so what are we left with? Oral testimony, possibly recorded or written down. Well, it seems that nobody did it. Errant stray files in the secret intelligence materials. Well, almost every so every ex-Soviet regime's opened them up, and it doesn't look like there's anything there. Yeah, a couple very significant echoes to today of this, and our 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 viewers may not believe this, but we actually selected the story a couple of days ago. So just to pull back the curtain, it is my math problems aside, August twenty third, twenty third August, as we tape this, and we selected this story a few days ago. And what's happened in the meantime? is the daughter of a very prominent right-wing Russian official, strong supporter of Putin, sometimes called oh, Putin's yeah, that's brain, right. has been killed in Russia. And the uh, talk about uh, Colombo's investigatory wizardry, the uh, FSB, the new KGB, in 36 hours, conclusively determined that this heinous murder was carried out by a Ukrainian agent who had subsequently absconded to Estonia, even though there are at least five, 10, depending on you, how you count 15 enemies of Putin right. who have been murdered and those cases still aren't solved. Well, I think as always, we've raised some questions and we've given some answers and we've had a good drink. Cheers. Your health. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Hidden History Happy Hour podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you have questions, comments, or suggestions for topics, you can find us on Twitter or on our website, hiddenhistoryhappyhour.com. We look forward to joining you next time. Much gratitude to our multi-talented production team of Jeremy Kaur, Kate Cruz, and Grace Keller, and to our visionary executive producer, Ivan Williams. And thanks also to our art designer, David Wardle, without whom this podcast would be, well, history. Cheers. Cheers.